top MMA voices Ariel Hawani, Chuck Mindenhall, and Pizza Carroll are live on the Spotify Greenroom app for every major MMA card with the Ringer MMA show. Hear the guys react to weigh-ins in real time and find out what they think of the fights the moment the final card ends. Plus, when breaking MMA news happens, they'll be live to talk to you about it. And if you missed the Green Room show, you can hear it as a podcast anytime on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or... Standard third row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Folks, basketball is very good and it's a beautiful day. Every day is a beautiful day to talk about basketball, especially when I'm joined by my co-host, Jonathan Charks. John, how you doing, bud? I'm feeling good. I'm excited. You look good. You, you're, you got your little fidget thing there. You're squeezing. John's a big fidgeter. We've talked about in the past. He kind of has like the, you know, like poker players fidget their their chips. He, he has to have like a stress ball. Has that been, is that like lifelong for you? When <laughs> There was a phase where I had the fidget spinners. Then I had a phase where I had playing cards. And now I have this thing. You did fidget spinners? Oh, I loved them. I had like 10 of them, man. Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we were at at the G League showcase and Charks was just sitting on the sideline (laughs) with this just like rubber football, just squeezing it. So he just uh, has a lot of pent up energy. Anyway. Yeah, here's here's the thing. If you're at popping, that's me popping a... Steve explicitly told you not to do that, and you just did it in defiance of him, and he's going to be mad. We can't upset Steve. <laughs> folks, my name is Jay Kyle Mann. Saying folks a lot today, but this is a show called Upside High, where we zero in on the youth movement in basketball, specifically young players in the NBA and players heading into the NBA. Um, we want to talk today about um, a player, maybe a little bit about the team, probably going to be more player-focused here, but... Somebody coming into the draft that is going to be a mega focus, I think, as as we sort of figure out who's going to go first, who's going to be at the top, the most important players here, and that is Paolo Bancaro from Duke. And if you don't know, let's let's give sort of like a bio um, quick jogger for people because I know I know you ding me a lot for that last time. Let's start with the small and we'll go to the big. You know, we'll do the pyramid here. So Paolo Bancaro. A lot, of, a lot of talk about how to pronounce his name. Apparently, it is Paolo. It is Bencaro. Six foot ten. Would you say I'd say I'd describe him as a big forward? I'm not sure he's a true six ten. We could talk more about that. Um, plays for Duke. Um, how would you? How what would be the elevator pitch for Paolo Bencaro's game? In your opinion, you've been really studying him lately, Charks. 
Yeah, I would say, I mean, the thing to start with is like picture Carmelo Anthony, then picture him like on a 12-month football strength and conditioning program where he just like jacked up. Like I, he is like a Paolo has like a Hulk-like physique almost. He's 6'10", 250. He's this weird hybrid where he has the, he's a true perimeter player. Like he has handles, a pull-up jumper. He crosses guys up. He has spin moves. We were talking about, he loves like the rut, the, the rip through stutter move. Mm-hmm. Like he's got the whole bag, but he has the size of a center. So he's like somewhere between Julius Randle and Carmelo Anthony. That's probably the easiest way to pinpoint him on like a map of basketball players. Yeah. And, and physically, son of a, we were talking about this yesterday. I always enjoy doing this detective work. Son of a football player who played at the University of Washington, where he met his. Uh, Paolo's mom, Rhonda Smith, who was drafted into the WNBA, the all-time leading scorer at Washington. So a football player marrying a basketball player. Um, and and we have Paolo now. Italian descent. I, it's going to be interesting to see if he plays. Do you think he'll play with Nico Mannion uh, for, for Italy? I th- I'd love to see that. So it was cracking me up. I was doing this research. His dad's name is Mario Boncaro. And I'm like, how is a guy named Mario Boncaro playing D1 football? It doesn't really make sense to me. But it's just because Paolo, I think his grandparents or his great-grandparents immigrated from Italy to Washington. And Paolo's dad growing up worked at his dad's butcher shop. <laughs> so I was like, this guy is as Italian as it gets. <laughs> yeah, he's. I just imagine a big hulking dude. But yeah, you're right. Like Paolo has really impressive uh, physical tools. Um, I He doesn't like strike me like he doesn't seem enormous, but he... He's another one of those players. He has such a, a fluidity for his size that sometimes it can be hard for your brain to kind of your reptile brain. To, you know, when you just quickly size people up the way they move. Um, and I've talked about that a lot. I mean, that's a necessary thing for big guys who want to play on the perimeter. Um, you you talked about his game a little bit. I think that's interesting. And and at the top of the draft, we've got some. We've got two guys that are pretty comparable. Um, you know, we talked a lot about Jabari Smith. I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, but Jabari, floor spacer, big guy with a lot of skills. What do you what do you think the the thinking would be if someone was to say, I have Paolo ahead of Jabari? Because I was telling you, I feel like this draft is kind of tracing some philosophical fault lines for people, like what you value, roundabout way to say, what do you think the pitch is for taking Paolo over Jabari? Well, I mean, it's pretty simple as Paolo can score easier than Jabari. Like, there's just no question. If you had those guys play one-on-one, Paolo would beat him, I think, pretty handily. Why, why, do, a, you, why do you think that is, just, though? He just and has what a deeper specific? bag. Like, Jabari's a pull-up shooter. Like, it's weird because sometimes the guy like Paolo, you think, oh, he's an inside-outside guy. But he's really an inside guy who can go outside. Jabari's an outside guy who goes inside sometimes. So Jabari's a guy, he wants to raise up and shoot more often than not. Paolo, he's trying to get to the rim. He's trying to go downhill. He's trying to get like get two feet from the basket and score. Use so what what Paolo has over Jabari is he has this size. So when Paolo shoots a jumper, he's almost bailing out the defense. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm not going to do that. Like I'm bigger than you. You can't stop me from going to the basket. So that's what I'm going to do. Like Jabari does not get to the basket as easy as Paolo. That would be the big difference between them in terms of Paolo's strength over Jabari. And I have some numbers for you, I think, that can help out with this. So I have a piece on Paolo. It'll probably come out sometime this week. You never really know what the editor is, how they want to do things. 
And I think the key to understand about him, I, I compared Paolo to all of the one and done wings from Duke over the last decade. So like there's four guys. So that's Jabari Parker, Jason Tatum, like the Brandon three fours. Ingram, RJ Barrett. Yeah. You're okay. six, 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 seven, six, eight, one and done wings. And when you look at their numbers, what really stands out is Paolo is way more efficient than all of them. So this season, Paolo is shooting 56% from two-point range. None of the other guys shot above 52. So Paolo's shooting 10 points higher than Brandon Ingram from two-point range. And it makes sense when you break down his numbers further because Paolo don't shoot a ton of jumpers. Paolo's getting right to the rim. He shoots way fewer threes than any of those guys as a percentage of his total shots. And he gets way more fouls. And it all kind of follows logically, right? Like you've got this big tank of a guard. He's going to the rim. So you called him a guard. So, I mean, do you do you see him as like a primary ball handler going forward? Like, I mean, Duke uses him that way, I think, because they kind of lack a true initiator that you would lean on, like a true kind of point guard type. Um, the way they're using him, I mean, you you called him like a, a handler. Do you expect him to be that going forward, like, a, like a, somebody that will initiate offense for an NBA team? Yeah, I mean, I expect him to be a primary scorer for sure. I, there's a big difference, though, which we can get into now if you want to. Well, I, w- I was going to just put some uh, texture on some of those stats you were talking about. You were talking about threes per game. He's averaging like 18 points basically per game. 33.3% from three on only three attempts. A decent foul shooter, 75%, which could you know figure in. The shooting, I think the thing that you were talking about, like with the... He, he and, and 2.7 assists, that's another part of the conversation I want to hit on in a little bit. That he and Jabari are interesting sides of the same coin in that, like, um, we don't, you know, draft to draft, it'll be like, this is a big guy draft. This is a guard draft. This is a wing draft. It's odd that we have two guys at the top like this that, like, have these two skill sets. Their comfort zone and how they like to operate um, is similar because, like, Paolo really, really loves, you're right, he loves to face up and size people up from that elbow or sort of, like, ISO high to mid post kind of range, but he does. He like, he destroys people with that stutter rip move at his size because bigs can't stay in front of him and, and, and he can just muscle guards. Um, 30.8% of his field goals at this point are in the paint and 27.8 are at the rim. He has a really even kind of distribution of how he gets uh, his buckets. I mean, the numbers bear it out. He, he really is like a, a he shoots more, jump shots. I think we said that on the last show. He shoots more jump shots than he does at the rim. So Paolo kind of has this like inside rippling out effect where with Jabari, we're like fantastic shooter. Going to be probably a better shooter for his whole life than Paolo. He's not going to catch up with him because he's elite. But, you know, we want, we kind of are hoping that Jabari is going to physically mature. I was going to ask you, you know, coming into the year, I saw there, there's just endless footage of Paolo catching the ball like in the short corner and like facing up and just throwing a couple fakes and just going and just like thunder dunking on people like Jabari does not do that ever like it's almost like it almost kind of like invokes visions of like younger Blake Griffin the way he would do that like just so much quicker than the guys at his position what do you think the athletic gap is between Paolo and Jabari or is there one I was curious to ask you about that well I would I think Jabari is probably quicker longer, a little better jumper. But then Paolo's just way, way stronger. I would love to see them guard each other in a game. It'd be pretty fascinating to see how that would, what that would look like. 
I think they guarded each other in the Pangos game. I, I, I would say that I think Paolo might have a little more pep vertically. Um, I think his hands might be better because like when you see him finish at the rim, he's like leveraging his strength and athleticism a lot better than Jabari. You see Jabari mm-hmm. go to the rim. He doesn't really dunk unless he's like open. You don't see him and he's kind of, you know, like physically compromised. I'm, I know it's an audio format. I'm kind of like contorting. You don't see him powering through people. <laughs> that like was Paolo, very, but it was very elegant though, Kyle. It was doing. very it's too bad that people good. can't see it. Oh, dude, I was playing pickup yesterday, and you, the patheticness of my of my finishing at the rim. <laughs> I just I hope it never <laughs> is seen by anyone out in the world. Look like a corpse out there. Uh, anyway, but like Paolo can like contort and kind of like his just wiggle and bend. I feel like overall with the ball is a lot better. But I kind of came into the year thinking that. There was a huge gap. I still think Paolo is a better like overall athlete, but I don't know. I could be. I feel like the gap's smaller than I initially thought. You you had some thoughts about. Um, you said you wanted to go ahead and go on to this, but you had some thoughts about how he's going to be used at the next level. Is that what you were saying? I mean, I think the thing with Paolo and kind of I talk about in my piece a lot is ultimately, I think his ceiling is just going to be how good of a passer he can become. Because no question about it, the man's going to get buckets. He's going to get buckets pretty consistently at a pretty high level. I think that's what, like, I remember the first time, you remember opening, obviously you watched opening night when Paolo gave Kentucky the business, I'm sure. You were, you had a good seat for that. Thanks for bringing that up. (laughs) But I kind of compared it to, like, it almost reminded me his opening night of, so Duke's had a lot of great players over the last decade. But I feel like Paolo's opening night, it reminded me of Kyrie and Zion, where I said, these guys are too good for college. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I remember the first possession of like the first season, Paolo's like crossing dudes up, getting to the rim at 6'10", 250, playing under total control. He's jaying up the Kentucky big men. He's spinning around them and like getting foul at the rim. And it was like, this guy could be in the NBA right now. Yeah, He doesn't necessarily need college basketball to become a better scorer. But the thing he needs to work on is just passing it. Because I think, to go back around, I know I'm like 100% sure Paolo's going to be an elite scorer in the NBA. But we know, we've seen elite scoring on its own is never enough. You've got to combine that skill with something else. And to me, the obvious area for growth for Paolo's game is as a passer. Yeah, elite scoring needs a pressure valve. Like it has to have some kind of a pressure release because if you are even, I expect him to be a pretty elite scorer at the rim. I think that, like, I do believe in the shooting. He even did some like dribble pull up shooting against Gonzaga. That was like, I was like, if he's going to shoot, if he's going to dribble shoot, shoot from three, like it's not bad. That's what people should know. And I don't think that he's like, do you think he has. Any kind of dis, the most frustrating players to watch are the ones that have like disillusions about who they are as players. Do you think that he has like a good handle for how his bread is buttered? Like when you watch him, or, or is he like, is there much wastefulness in his game? I guess is what I'm asking. That's funny because I think I lose that line in the piece. Like he knows where his bread is buttered. Like he knows what <laughs> to do. He's like, I'm getting to the rim. He doesn't, I don't feel like he settles for jumpers. I think a lot of times the big guy, his size, like the defense wants you to shoot a jump shot, right? When you're as big as Paolo and you have his kind of handling and explosion, you're like, okay, shoot a jumper, make it or not. At least I contested you. What am I going to do? Right. We don't want you going to the rim, but he knows that. And yet he, I don't think he has a ton of wasted. Like he's trying to get baskets every time. He's not messing around. 
So this is, uh, I hate to, you know, keep it in this compartment, but I think this is what NBA teams are going to be doing. Like, they're going to be looking at these two guys and Chet. And I think that, uh, I mean, if Shaden Sharp comes out, that's another one. And that one be more interesting. player we'll be talking about on the next segment. <laughs> right. Um, and I guess the passing craft is a thing that when you're comparing those two, um, I personally think that Paolo's upside as a passer and his, like, craft tools and specifically when i say that i mean like his ability his touch his ability to like make passes with either hand his ability to like see windows make make plays happen we talk about like pressure valves pressure releases within systems offenses but you know within players too can he see things that are coming his way as a result of that like really potent you talked about him being an elite score which we expect him to do is he going to be able to see you know, help coming when it comes. I feel more confident about that. I told you, like, I felt a little less confident about, like, the gap of athleticism. My optimism for him as a passer, as a playmaker, has grown, I feel like, in the past few weeks. Like, watching him, I think he's averaging, like, 2.8 assists or something like that. It's nothing crazy, but what's what's where did you kind of land on his playmaking upside? Where do you, How do you feel about that right now? I would say if you put Chet in the conversation... I think Chet's the best passer of the three by a pretty substantial margin. But I think Paolo has more room to grow as a passer than Jabari because he's a more dominant interior scorer. I think it's easier to pass out of double teams. You score near the basket. Defense collapses on you. You just pass to a shooter. I think there's an easier path for Paolo to improve as a passer than Jabari. And you're seeing kind of what you're saying. The... Um, in Paolo's non-conference game, so that's the first 11 games of the season, and like he's playing Gonzaga in Kentucky, but he's also playing like Elon and I don't know, some, some really small schools, so less competition. He was averaging 2.1 assists on 2.0 turnovers. Then you go to ACC play where the bar's being raised. He's actually averaging, and as you said, it's not a big guy. I think it's like 3.6 assists to 2.9 turnovers. So we're not talking huge passing numbers, but you are seeing a marked improvement. And I think he has plenty of room to grow as a passer. It's just kind of more about his mindset. Like I've always viewed passing as a mentality more than anything else. Just how you look at the game, how you approach it, what you're trying to do. And there have been examples of great scorers who've become great passers in the NBA. Biggest one to me, Kevin Durant. I was at Texas when he was there. At UT, KD was just like Carmelo. It was all buckets all the time. And he developed as a passer over time. Kawhi Leonard, same path, was more of a defensive player in college, became a great scorer, then became a good passer. And I think the guy I'm always thinking of with Paolo when I watch him is just Tatum as a Duke wing. It was the same kind of thing with Tatum at Duke. It was like, are you going to pass the ball, bro? And it's been the same thing in the NBA with him too. Yeah, and Tatum, I think, leans a little more towards like the archetype. His archetype, I think, is more where Jabari leans. Like Tatum has some of that I was noticing some of that stuff with Jabari when I was watching him that he has a lot of that like face up jab, but ultimately wants would rather take a tough two uh, than the, like the tuxedo approach that I've joked about in the past. That like he the tuxedo hey, what's score, the tuxedo, he, <laughs> the tuxedo score that that would rather face up and and keep their keep their lapels clean than get in there. Oh, I don't, okay, Paolo's not like that. Paolo is like he's gonna try to get into the lane. I think what you were what you were saying about the fact. That, 
if you're going to be just like a guy who settles for face-up jumpers, if you just think about literally think, like playing basketball, imagine yourself doing it. If the defense knows that you're going to settle for a jumper, you're going to see less movement in front of you. Whereas if you're driving, bodies have to physically get in front of you and move. You know, there's just more movement from the defense happening. And when when Paolo is driving, kind of you were talking about like comparing him to like Kyrie and Zion, like something that was immediately true is you've got this guy who's huge, who can get to the rim, who has a pretty decent handle for his size. But the difference between him and Jabari is that like he can get really low with his dribble and hold his space. And Jabari just can't really do that. Talk about a lot about like big guys who have bend like when they're dribbling the ball, like he can get low and that's just not a super common thing to see. Um, I think the Durant comparison is really interesting because I don't know, it was probably around whenever you really started to notice it when Russ was out. I think it was probably like 14. So that would have KD. That was the MVP season. Yeah, KD would have been like, what, 24, 25? If you think about where Paolo is now, um, I don't get like a greedy, this guy's like a selfish, you know, SOB type thing from no. him when I'm watching him. Um, where wh- I mean, how do you feel? I kind of like, I kind of like when Duke runs like their offense through him in the post. Have you, have you noticed much of that when you're watching them? Mm-hmm. And then it was nice. I like to look at for big big wings. So they played Syracuse over the weekend and he had four assists in that. And that to me is always telling because a two, three zone, how do you be a two, three zone? You pass the ball out of the high post. So like to go back, that's when for me, when I was breaking down Patrick Williams two years ago at Florida state, when I was like, this guy's for sure a player. I think he had like five or six assists against Syracuse. And I said, okay, they're playing him out of the high post. He's making the quick pass. He's finding the big man at the rim. And I think that's important for Paolo too. So his career high in assists was seven against Florida State. They lose the game, but in the last two minutes, Paolo threw two lobs to their center. And why that's so important, we haven't gotten to this point yet, but Paolo, they tried for a while to play Paolo at center and it didn't really work. And so they're playing these big men more often. It means Paolo's got to find ways to hook up his big man for lobs because the defense will collapse on him otherwise. And, you know, Kyle, here's what it ultimately comes down to. I'm going to turn it all back around. What it ultimately comes down to is this. For a guy as great as Paolo, is the son of man came to earth to serve and not to be served. Oh, my. I mean, I think that there's wisdom in that. I think that there's wisdom in that that comes through in basketball. Is if, you, if you live to serve... Also true in marriage, Charks. I think you could attest Here to this. Here we go. If you, Let's go, baby. If Preach, you live Kyle. to serve, if you live to serve, uh, you're just you're gonna have a happy, unselfish existence. You know, it, it, there's a balance of life. I always talk about the level here. I don't know how we're getting on this, but there's a balance. I'm glad I squeezed that out of you. You know, if you can get the uh, if you can get the level, if you can keep that bubble in the center. You know, that's that's the way to be. Uh, before we move on, and uh, we're gonna talk about AJ Griffin, who's a fan. Uh, Fascinating prospect. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about comps but uh, for Paolo. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to take a break. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. 
But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. So, Charks, you know, we were, we were both just joking. I have this tendency. I'm such like an offensive guy. I've grown up as a guy who likes to score the ball. I can get a little, I can get a little tunnel vision. I've grown to appreciate defense, though, more in, as I've aged. I feel like I've become a better team defender. I'm dog shit on the ball. I don't know anything about you as a team, team defender. We've never played together. But uh, <laughs> defense is important at the highest level, uh, at the highest levels, plural. Where do, where do you see Paolo projecting? Is he... Is he an on-ball, like, defensive kind of guy? Like, is he going to take tough assignments? Is he going to be more of a team defender? Where where does he fall in your view? I think that's kind of what Duke is figuring out, too. Because Duke doesn't really use him a ton on defense. Like I said right before the break, they tried him at five for a while. It didn't really work. He just didn't, didn't really have the instincts for it. He doesn't really want to stay there, anchor the defense, call out coverages, you know, bang the low man, box out, all this, all the dirty work. He wants to, you know, guard in the he's a guard. Like I think that's something to keep in mind too with Paolo. Sometimes he's not a big man who has guard abilities, which we see a lot. He's purely a guard who happens to have a big man size. So to me, like he's he's a perimeter defender, but they usually use AJ Griffin and some of their other first round picks in the perimeter to guard the top guys. So Paolo just kind of floats a lot on defense, I feel like. He's not really doing a ton. I see him standing up a lot. Like you were talking about calling things out. I always talk about mental motor. Jabari's mental motor on defense is eons ahead of Paolo's at this point. Like Jabari is very actively like calling, talking. It's not that like Paolo can't be a great defender, but at this point, He's pretty far ahead of Paolo, in my in my opinion. Like I see him just kind of standing a lot. Like he he's used to kind of being on the perimeter, like you were talking about. And that that point about uh, him being a guard in a big guy's body, I think, is really key for his mentality of how he plays um, and, and sort of his instincts. I want to talk about comps here. Um, we love we love to talk comps because I think it's a way to kind of <laughs> dial in for people who haven't watched him, maybe give him an idea of what to expect. Who's your chief comp? For Paolo Vincaro at this it's point. It's hard to find them. It's really, he's such a unique player. Uh, I think he's breaking the mold in a lot of ways. 
To me, the closest comp I could really think of is Jabari Parker, but before the knee injuries. Big body guard, wants to score, get to the rim. Like that to me, kind of, that's who I, I see a better version of Jabari Parker is probably my comp for him. Hmm. That's, I think his, um, that's an interesting one. When I think, when I think about Jabari, I feel like my memory of him is that he was like a little bit more of a nasty finisher than people remember when he was at Duke. He tried to dunk everything around the rim. It's hard um, to remember because he had those two knee injuries. It's hard to even keep track of it anymore. It's so long ago. Duke's had a few guys like that. It's like hard, like Harry Giles. Of course, he was already sort of a, um, you know, a, a faded image of himself at the time he got to Duke. That's one to go look up if you've never watched Harry Giles pre-injury, but pre-injury for him was like, 16 years old he had yeah. such horrible luck um if i'm going back and i'm kind of just like dialing in what i think what i expect from paolo i expect him to be a big score a lot of points like you talked about like iso um i expect him to be somebody that's probably a pick and roll man more than a pick and roll creator um he'll become a decent spacer i think over time he's somebody that i could see operating out of the high post and developing some kind of ball skills uh, where he can see doubles, see rotations, things like that. Guys that kind of fit that mold, he's a lot better than Julius Randle, but these are like inefficient type players. Um, Jeremy Grant is another guy in that size. Um, Blake Griffin is the one that I keep thinking about. I texted you about that. Like if you think about some of the younger shades of, of Blake Griffin, what he was like in college, more of a dominant post player, I think. Um where do, you, where do you fall on that? I think our two examples kind of paint both sides of it because Blake was inside and kind of came out. And you were talking about Jabari. I often think about Jabari as like love to face up more when he was younger. See, yeah. I've always looked at Jabari more as like a Rashard Lewis type. And that's where it gets into like philosophy that you were saying. Like who's a better player, Rashard Lewis or Carmelo Anthony? Like, I don't know. It's just complicated, right? You're going to get it's some not- people mad at you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, how many finals did Carmelo Anthony play in? None. How many did Richard Plews play in? One. To me, Richard Lewis is a better player? No. But he fit easier with Dwight Howard than Carmelo would have. So it's just very complicated. And that's what makes the draft so interesting. It's not just evaluation. It's also philosophy, team building. Like, I think when I break it down, ultimately, I feel like Paolo, Paolo has the one skill you can't teach. And that's getting buckets. Like he's got that. He get in his bag in a way Jabari doesn't. It's like to me, I was telling you, Paolo's kind of like the anti Cade Cunningham, where Cade, the one thing he couldn't do in college, which was I was a little lower than most people, was he just couldn't consistently get his own shot efficiently. Paolo's got that. He's just got to improve. And the stuff Paolo's got to improve, it's just stuff he can. That's defensive effort, that's passing, that's like spot up shooting. Those are all things you can coach and can be developed and can learn at. It's just, do you want to do it? And one more point, I think, as someone from Dallas, I'm a little more aware of this now. Powell's a very, very big guy, and he plays in the perimeter a lot. What that means is he has to be in really good shape. He has to be in tip-top physical condition. That's what kind of the Carmelo thing, I think, becomes important. Because sometimes it's not just you got to want to play defense. You got to have the energy to play defense while still getting buckets. And that just means being in great shape. And you made an interesting point. I thought you were going to go towards this about like where, what sort of influenced him to play. It's, it's sort of immaterial to it, but just that like the Seattle culture has a lot of those guys, has a lot of those like bucket getter, like the, okay, we should talk about this for a second. You pointed something out interesting about him, where he's from. 
it's maybe it's something, maybe it's a coincidence, but it is interesting. I don't think so. Okay. So okay. I think to understand Paolo, like the Duke stuff, it's interesting because it gives you a statistical baseline to compare him to the other Duke players. To understand Paolo, though, you gotta know where he's from, and that's Seattle. And people don't think of Seattle as a basketball hotbed, but it 100 percent is. They put out a ton of NBA players. And to get to your point, here's a list of some of their most notable players. Tell me if you can find the pattern. Jamal Crawford, Zach Levine, Isaiah Thomas, Nate Robinson, Jason Terry, Brandon Roy. I mean, I, I, I told them the pattern. <laughs> for, yeah, right? for, our, yeah. for our serious basketball fans, they know. But I mean, if you haven't watched those guys, some of our people are a little younger, I've noticed too. Um, bucket getters. Yeah, creators. Guys who create their own shot. Roy was a better passer than history gives him credit for, I think. But... I think that that's true. And and some of the points that you were making, basically, I think the crux of this discussion about is is Paolo like the guarantee? Because if this was more of a certainty, I think he's probably certainly the number one. If we saw this and we were like, okay, this guy is for sure going to be what I call like a gravity flipper. He's going to be able to exploit the attention he gets. His compatibility, and I, the fact that you brought up Cade is interesting because the Pistons are going to be up there. His compatibility with other stars, I think, is going to be the difference between is he going to be a guy who puts up insane production in terms of like raw counting stats in a not so conducive to winning environment, or is he going to be compatible with uh, guards who have the ball in their hands? Like his ability to do that is going to make a big difference, I think, at the top. Another player on their team, you you talked about this. A question that I asked you: Are you are you ready to unveil this idea that that you had about Let's like do it. him? I, oh. We got to sneak this in now, but I demand that we do it. I said we have to talk AJ Griffin on this podcast at some point. Well, so let's. let's do you're all about the cockamamie. You've talked about this a lot. I heard you say on another podcast. Uh, um, what's his name? Chad. Uh, Chad Poe. Chad Poe. If you're listening to this, we know each other. Hit me up. Uh, you, you forgot about me. <laughs> talk anyway. about a deep cut. <laughs> we know each other, Chad Poe. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so. No. No That's one a big spot, time. No, who listens is going to know who that <laughs> Forget is. it. We'll move on. We'll move on. Uh, I was blown away by that. That was like one of the all-time small world things I've ever heard in my life. So anyway, AJ Griffin, you said something cockamamie to me that I was like, oh boy. But the more I thought about it, we're talking about philosophies. Are this certain type of player always more valuable than this certain type of player? AJ Griffin, if you had to go and someone said, what is the percentage chance that he ends up a more valuable NBA player? than Paolo someday. What's your opinion on that? 50-50. And I'll expand it. More valuable than Jabari Smith, too. So let, hold us back it You're up being bit. conservative, though. That's not what you said to me. You well, said something stronger. I did more stronger. research. Now I'm like kind of backing down a bit okay, as okay, I research okay. Paolo. So A.J. Griffin, he is the other star freshman at Duke. He started the season really slow, coming off a knee injury. Didn't play a ton the first two months of the year. No one knew much about him. He was really highly thought of, but not as high thought of as Paolo. And he was kind of in like the middle, late first round, the most mocks to start the season. He's been gradually rising as the year goes on. I think now most places have him about 10. I'm going to say right now, this guy's going to be a top five pick. Like AJ Griffin is the absolute truth. I absolutely love watching him play. I was watching Duke to watch Paolo, but honestly, I like watching AJ Griffin play more. He, I just love him. So... The elevator pitch, AJ Griffin is like 6'6", 220, absolute freak athlete. Like we were talking about Paolo and Jabari. AJ Griffin is a way better athlete than both of them. 
He, I mean, and he is built like a freaking Mack truck as well. He has incredibly long hands, physically dominant wing. To me, when I watch him, he kind of reminded me of OG Ananobi in college. We're like, this guy is just a better athlete than everybody else out here. And he's a really, really, really smart player. He's an elite shooter. He makes he makes great decisions with the ball all the time. 46.6% from three. To me, I think of him as he's OG Ananobi, Jalen Brown, Miles Bridges, elite all-star wing, almost guaranteed. Not almost guaranteed, but I think he's as blue chip as blue chip gets. I love his game. The creation thing, plus six wingspan, by the way. Um, crazy, crazy physical traits for him. And Duke, Duke has like four like big, like beefy guys. They have like, they're like the weight room team. Like they have an unusually beefy team uh, for young players. I'm just saying it's, they have a lot of really strong, like six, five guys, but you brought something up that I think is really interesting. Like uh, OG was a little more like quick explosive. It seemed like he kind of had his physical, his physicality together, his coordination, his sort of, he has a similar gait to athleticism thing going on dynamic that reminds me of Jalen. Jalen, when you would watch him when he was younger, he just kind of had this saunter, like the way that he would move. He kind of seemed clumsy at times, but then he would do something where he would go to like the top of his athletics, his like, we'll say athletic meter when it powered up, he would do something explosive. AJ is like that. Like he, he just kind of has this ambling way that he moves around the court, but he has to be a pain in the ass to, if, he, if he's guarding you. I'm not sure about like the catch and shoot stuff has been phenomenal. And, and there's an interesting dynamic between when guys are coming out of high school, there's like the high school eval crowd. Maybe people can observe this if you ever get on social, but like there's the, ha- the high school like eval crowd. And then there's the draft prospect crowd, the people who are thinking about them like long, long term, less what they are like right now. Mm-hmm. And AJ has been beloved by those people, by like the the prospect people. He was very highly regarded. I think they had him, I think ESPN had him ranked pretty low in their top 25. I think he would, might have even been in the 20s. It was very low. He was, 29. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and and so you think he's going to be a top five pick? I think so. So the number I'm also looking at a lot, there's a couple numbers to AJ on top of just the way he plays. So this is a guy who takes most of his shots from three and he still shoots 54% from the field. What that tells you is when he does shoot from two, he basically never misses. So he's shooting 63% from two as a freshman. And this is where like the OG comparison. OG shot 61% as a freshman and 70% as a sophomore. And here that's important because those are numbers you'd expect for a big man who just like catches lobs. But OG and AJ Griffin... They're just such smart players. They know when to cut. They know when to take the shot, when to hit the open man. And we've kind of been belaboring this point about Paolo, about how he has to learn to pass, learn to make the right read. I feel like A.J. Griffin makes the right read all the time. You just don't always see it because he doesn't get a ton of opportunities at Duke. And that's what makes it almost even more impressive, the way he plays. Because like, Really, A.J. Griffin should be saying, I'm better than some of these guys who shoot more than me. So when I get the ball, I'm putting it up to get my numbers. But he doesn't play that way. A.J.'s always making the right pass. Whenever I watch Duke and like Paolo will make a good shot, he'll move, make the simple pass. When A.J. gets the ball, he's making the, like the next big pass, the pass over one guy, the pass that leads to the pass. So A.J. right now, he's averaging per 40 minutes 
2.2 assists on 0.8 turnovers. That's almost three to one assist to turnover ratio. That to me is really telling because that says he doesn't get a lot of chances to make plays in this offense, but when he does, he makes the right plays. So when I see a guy with that efficient, that high assist to turnover ratio, that good a shooter, that good on defense, like all my like warning bells are like flashing. This guy is a star. This guy is going to be special. And that's just what I believe. Yeah, I think you're right. I could see him definitely being like the type of perimeter deterrent to like the smaller lead guard, lead scoring guard types, like the Jamal Murray's when he's healthy, the Stephs, Steph. I don't know if, if he'll ever. Um, I'm sure, but um, the Devin Booker's, the guys who are in that height range, like I could see him being a point of attack terror basically. And coming into the year. Um, you know, Keels was talked about a little more on the high school level. I feel like Keels is a guy who over the course of the season, the pitch for him for people is really big. So that's Anytime- their third freshman, Trevor Right, Keels. right, right. Probably then, first round pick too. And Wendell Moore is another guy probably be, he could be a late, I wouldn't be surprised if he's mid to late first round. And then Mark Williams is another guy like a seven footer, but Keels is, um, built like a really highly thought of built like a running back if you watch a duke game it's like dan, dan i'm not trying to pick on the espn but like dan shulman and jay bill is just like talk over and they're like what well, he's a running back out there uh that's kind of the deal there but i feel like griffin over the course of the year has kind of slowly proved like the dependability of like the basic things that he does is so consistent like he's going to hit open threes he's not going to take bad shots we talk about wastefulness there's just not a lot of wastefulness. If you give me a player who is going to be a terror on ball, I could see him being like a point of attack. He'll probably be, probably be more like a wing stopper type. Do you think he's laterally fast enough to be to be like a point of attack type of player? He does get beat sometimes, but I'm not sure if that's just like not in great position or whatever. I think he has the athletic ability. He's also really, really young. I believe he won't even turn 19 till after the draft next year. That's so, crazy. And to kind of go back to what you're saying, so his dad, Adrian Griffin, longtime NBA player, an assistant for the Raptors the last few years, older brother, Alan Griffin, played at Syracuse, pretty solid college player. So I'm like son of a pro, younger brother of a high-level player, elite athleticism. And then he can also hit step-back threes. Like he has that in his bag too, where he'll just like dribble, dribble twice step back and drain a three over him. It's like, this is a six, six guy who can like tomahawk dunk and hit step back threes. And he's a really smart player. I'm just getting really excited talking about him. Like to me, I look at AJ Griffin and I see him as the same caliber of player as the top three. Like to me, it's a top four. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I think that's going to happen as the year goes on. People start seeing that. I think that's the philosophical kind of fall line. Like we were talking about, like it's like, the question is that I think we have to ask ourselves is, is a primary player always more valuable than, let's say, like a high-quality role player? And I'm not even sure AJ's not a primary player himself, ultimately. We'll see. Like, I'm, I'm not going to put a ceiling on him yet, but he can't do that. His arms are like longer than Jalen Brown's. Like Jalen has like kind of notoriously short arms, short, short hands for his size and his frame. Uh, but I mean, I'm just thinking about like if we think about just physical body types, like OG's pretty big. OG's sick, like OG's a legit bigger. Six, yeah, OG's six eight. Um, but I, I I think that he he will have to evolve into that primary, you know, kind of space for me. Like it's not as implied at this point. But if he's going to be a guy who's like a, a high quality catch and shoot player who's going to defend, 
elite wings on the other end and not make a lot of mistakes. That's that's a winning basketball player. And you compare that to, we were talking about like somebody that re- probably needs to be a primary to be effective, but they're not super efficient at it. I feel like Jabari is going to be pretty efficient at what he does. He doesn't necessarily have to be a primary at the next level. Chet, same kind of thing. The floor, the, the floor for what Chet does, rim protection, probably going to be a shooter, smart passer. Floor is pretty high. Paolo, I feel like, is the one that's kind of in this wiggly spot where it's like if he doesn't evolve into like a guy who could pass, a guy who can like exploit some of the attention that he gets, you know, you could maybe see a player of AJ's kind of quality, but I think I'm kind of with you. I have him in that kind of five-ish range. Like, I mean, he's he's up there. He's he's a really good to player. To me, like, I look at what Miles Bridges is doing in Charlotte this season. That's a good and call. And that, to me, is kind of the guy I can see AJ Griffin becoming. And it's like that player is just so valuable because, and you're seeing it at Duke now, is like he doesn't have to have the ball to dominate. He's going to get his points through energy and skill. You don't have to like, it's the thing with Boston, right? The Celtics have this problem where they've got two guys who want to dribble the ball into the floor and just jack up shots. It's hard to win that way. AJ Griffin's a winning player. I just love his game. Long, st- yeah. and long story short. <laughs> He is. He's a really, really interesting player. Um, Duke is a team. Where do you see Duke going? You think? I feel like they have some problems. Like I feel like uh, as they should be like the best defensive team in the nation. This is just me kind of talking about this now. And lately, Duke has just been kind of scooping up players I like. They're picking up Filipowski and Derek Whitehead for next year. Um, what do you What do you see them doing in the tournament? I mean, it's all on the table for them. It's funny when you look at all of the players Duke has had over the last decade, it's kind of amazing. Like pretty much every year they have an all-NBA player and they have one national title to show for it. Part of that is just the pure randomness of uh, college basketball. But part of it is just the way, how do I say this? I don't necessarily believe that Coach K always structures his team in the way that gets the most out of them. I have not seen it from this year's team. I think they have the talent to win a national title. Will they? I kind of doubt it, but anything's possible. I mean, it's Coach K's last year. If he's going to do some coaching, now's the year to do it. Or if uh, he may get the John Wooden effect and he's announced it and he's just going to get some uh, some calls down the stretch. We'll see. I think they That have would some... never happen, Kyle. Come on. How <laughs> <laughs> dare you? I, I think... Uh, I think they do have some kind of tough pain points within the way the roster is built, like you were talking about. Um, but I don't know. It's it, You never know with these things down the stretch. Uh, and I, I would encourage for all the NBA listeners, watch a Duke game. It's fun to watch. They got some really good players, man. It is They're a fun team to watch. Yes. Go check it out and report back to us. And uh, when's, your, when's your Palo piece going up? I'm turning in today, so I don't know when it's going <laughs> to. Okay. Very soon. Soon and very soon, folks. So, uh, yeah, go, make sure you you uh, you keep an eye out for that. And if you have any kind of questions, if, things that you want to hear in the future, we're, we're open to that. Hit Kyle, what about your mystery piece? When's that coming out? When you were so, you didn't want to tell Kellis last week. I put out a little illustration of Clay Thompson. So we have something coming on Clay Thompson, a video uh, coming here soon. But uh, yeah, check out all the other uh, great work on on the ringer. And we're going to have more draft stuff coming up here in the spring. I think KOC is going to do his thing too. And and, and uh, if you're into that. So we'll be back with you next week. Upside high. Check us out on the ringer NBA feed. Check out all the other shows on the network. That's great. A lot of hoops discussion going on at all times. Charks, it's good to see you, buddy. As always, man. Peace. Peace.